Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. If you hadn't heard me before, I won't restart the story, but I think we can all hear. So anyways, I, I, I come up with this plan. Okay, I'm going to make up the story because I have this really crazy scar on my leg. Now, if anyone's medical professional in here, I, ha- I had, in eighth grade, I had acute compartment syndrome in my thigh, which means that basically they had to rip open my thigh and make this huge incision, and it's just nasty. And <laughs> So, needless to say, I, needless to say, I'm in the locker room with these guys. Uh, most people, you know, wouldn't t- typically see this scar, but it's locker room, so people ask, hey, what happened? Like, whoa, what happened to your leg? And so I say, oh, I got bit by a shark. <laughs> Pretty reasonable, right? So this is my, and I can look back and, and think that I, it was just kind of this, I, I, in the moment, I made up this really elaborate story about what happened. And, it, and so I said, oh yeah, I got bit by a shark in eighth grade in that same time frame when that happened. And I was such and such, such, such a place. And, and the scar is, is, is legitimate enough where it's like, Oh dang, like that seems real. And so it gets word gets around to the coaches and to the like this actually happened. This is pretty sad. Word gets around to the to the coaches and to the some of the upperclassmen and it's like I'm 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 soon known as the guy who got bit by a shark. Like where people are telling their friends. Like it just got out of hand. It was you know, so just to give you some context, like who and he's speaking this morning, like who is this guy? So this was this was 18 years old. Actually, it was that semester of college that I ended up giving my life to the Lord. And so it was, it was kind of pre-Jesus like Jesus sancti- sanctifying my, my desperation to have friends and such. So just not to say that like, things don't still happen, but I, I was 18. So. Uh, so let's see. And so this, this, this whole thing's kind of building, and I'm like quickly realizing, oh, this is, we'll see how this goes. It's getting out of hand. So this all came crashing down on one uh, afternoon, evening, when my parents, we have a home game uh, at, at, our, at our school, and my parents come up for the home game, and then so do Brian and Wes's parents. They come up, and so after, after the game, we went out for pizza. And, you know, they had, they had apparently told their parents what happened. This, this notorious shark bite guy. So just to kind of break the ice, Brian's mom asks me, with kind of my parents there, so Jimmy, tell us about, tell us about that shark bite. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my mom and moms in the room know this look that you would give your sons who are like caught in a red-handed lie. My mom looks at me like, tell, tell, tell me. <laughs> huh. And... Uh, and I go, I think I shove a roll in my mouth, like, I don't know what to say. And, and Brian and Wes were like, come on, tell them. Like, you know, you know the story? And I'm like, guys, oh, this didn't, that's totally made up. I did not, it didn't happen. And they stand up, they're like, what? We told all of our friends. And so it was, it was a really, like, just sad, horrible situation. So we have a couple things to learn from that. Uh, it's, it's actually, I, 
actually happened. So, a couple things here. There's, there's, there's an underlying, like, legitimate need or, or desire, and that's one for, for friendship and connection and, and uh, to be known. But, you, but what, it's like what you win them with, you keep them with in terms of friends, and in terms of a lot of things. So, so I put out this, this t- completely fabricated lie, and I, and I, I quote one, some people. Like I, I got, people started like, talking about me. People, people kind of knew me as something that I really wasn't, that didn't really happen. And so then I had to maintain this, this false image of myself in order to keep them. And, now, and then once that image is blown up, like, what's the basis of the friendship? It's, it was built off of illusion. It was built off of pretense. And so in this series, we're talking about, you know, getting pla- past playing pretend. And uh, so this, this message is called moving past pretense. This is another word for pretend in a lot of ways, because pretense is an attempt to make something that's not the case appear true. Now this is a, this is a, a stark example of that in the shark bite story, but Attempt, an attempt to make something appear true when it's not. And we wonder, why, why, does, why do we do this? Like, why does anybody, anybody do this? There's this legitimate desire that we have for, for connection and for, for to be known and to be, to be liked, and, and that's legitimate. And then underneath that, there's this, often there's this desire that, that's a little bit distorted, where it's like, I want to be admired, and I want to be esteemed, and I want to be, like, above the rest, and so I'm willing to take a legitimate need, and I'm willing to, 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 to skirt around the natural processes of, of, of honesty and friendship to, to, to tell a lie, essentially, and, to, and the route to get there is, is where the issue lies, and so the need itself is, is, is what we all carry, whether, whether we have an acute awareness of it or not. It's a desire for connection, a desire for friendship, a desire for, to be known and, and to know somebody else. And, and yet the route we take to get there is often messy and uh, short-sighted. And so we want to talk about this morning this idea of pretense. And before you, you know, jump to think it's not, so this is the what I was saying. So before we jump to think that, that oh wow, like I, I don't do that. Like, I don't know about you. Like that, I'm going to distance myself from that story right now because that's crazy. And it is. But, but Jonathan Haidt, who's a, who's a moral kind of psychologist, who's done extensive research in the, in the world of, 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 of the ways that we kind of try to put forth an image or an appearance and we really care about those things versus the reality. He just says this, people care a great deal more about appearance and reputation than about reality. And so, by and large, across human civilization, people are willing to, as long as they can maintain an appearance, and as long as they can maintain a good reputation, they're willing to, to lie, to cheat, and to, to kind of skirt around the issues in, so that their image can be maintained. In, so in, in, in Plato's Republic, this is like 380 B.C. in Greek philosopher, the whole, the whole writing is based off of this question. Would you rather be an honest, just, moral person, and yet everyone thinks of you as a scoundrel, as, as just a, a horrible person? Or would you rather kind of 
cheat and lie and, and make your way in the world, and yet everyone thinks of you as kind of the epitome of virtue. Like, if you had, if you had two options, one is completely, you know, your appearance is the, the, the height of, is, is the most important thing, and the other one is, no one really understands me, but my virtue is real. My, my character is solid. Which one you, would you pick? This, this question, or this, this quote kind of gets underneath the fact that, by and large, if, if we just kind of take at face value the, the, the statistics of, of these psychologists, it's like we tend to really care more about our appearance and our reputation than about the reality. But as, as Christians, for, for those in this room who've, who've confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead, we, 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 we come at this from a, from a particular angle in that God knows our hearts. Like God knows, like there's no pretending, there's no pretense with God. Even if, even if you in fact do come to God with a kind of a, a, a fake kind of mask, God sees right through it. God knows your heart. He knows your motivations. He knows the skirts around. He knows the reality of what's inside of you. And so the gospel, the door to the gospel is that we, we lay down pretense. We say, I don't have in myself the ability to be made right with God. Even if I try really hard, even if my appearance is such that I am the most noble and righteous person, I know deep down the gospel convicts me of the fact that I don't have in and of myself the ability to stand before God and be blameless. I stand condemned in my, my, my sin, and it's Jesus who's, who meets me in that place of, of, of brokenness and lifts me up and says, you are my beloved son. I've, I've come not for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know that they're broken and sinners. And so, if, if the, the reality with God is that there is no pretense, there is no kind of attempt to make something appear true when it's not, then what does that mean for the way that we interact in our, in our friendships, in our relationships in the world? If God knows our hearts and we can be fully known by him, then what does it look like to, to pursue relationship and connection and intimacy with, with friends in a way that, that really gets past pretending and gets past putting on masks to, to make an appearance, to make yourself look like something that you're really not. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So, can you move forward? So, here's a, if, you, if you've seen this episode, there's a whole story behind this. But in a lot of ways, Andy's just trying to, to, to make, Andy's the guy talking, that guy. He's trying to make Michael like him in order to like spite Dwight. Like there's, there's a lot of pretense here. He's trying to, to put himself forward and, and Michael's kind of overwhelmed by it. Anyways, I just thought that was funny. So, we got a little clap in the back, that's good. Yeah. So, just some definitions here. We, we can talk about, often the word intimacy is like in the context of marriage, or in the context that we talk about intimacy with God, intimacy with, with your spouse, and then we really don't like to use that term in other, in other 
fashions because it, it has certain connotations that have been put on it culturally. But, but I want to talk about intimacy in terms of friendship this morning. Moving past pretense in our friendships in our, in our, in our, in our life. <clears throat> so if we define intimacy as close familiarity or friendship, or closeness, like that's, that's pulled straight from the dictionary. And then a friend is a person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, typically exclusive of sexual or family relations. And so to put the two together, intimate friendship is a relationship where you know the other person fully and you're fully known by them. Often this is a vital aspect of marriage, but it's not exclusive to marriage. Hopefully there's friendship involved if you're married, but, but friendship <laughs> is much more than, like you're not, it's much more than, than, than marriage because it, 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 it's, it's a, it can be a part of all human relationships. Uh, often we talk about the f- fulfillment of our need for, uh, for intimacy as epitomized in, in marriage. And yet, the two people in Scripture who, who teach the most profoundly on marriage were both unmarried men, Jesus and Paul, and who had, who had intimate relationships in their life, who were, who were loved and knew who they were, loved by God and loved by a close-knit group of friends, <laughs> And so when we think of, like sometimes I think we, we put marriage, and Kimber's going to talk about relationships and marriage soon, but often I think we put, kind of, we define love as sexual fulfillment and as this certain aspect of what marriage is epitomized as, when love, as we'll look at in a, in a, in a passage in a second, love is actually much more uh, foundational to human relationships and to friendship than it is to a particular marriage relationship. So, C.S. Lewis talks about friendship in this book he wrote called The Four Loves, and he says, To the ancients, friendship seemed to be the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. And so we want to just look a little bit at what Scripture says about friendship, about intimacy, and about our need to to know each other. So Jesus, talking to his disciples in John 15, says this, My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is Jesus' definition. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So, I want to break this down in a couple ways. The first is this. The commandment that he puts out. Love each other. And just take that. And you think about it. There's two aspects to that. If, if, if there's a group of people and they're told to love each other, well, then there's a, there's a giving of love and then there is a receiving of love. And so for you as an individual, you need to love, you need to actively love your friends intentionally. But then you also need to let yourself be loved. You need to let yourself be 
love. And I think often this is the one that we, we, ha- we have a little bit of reservation about. Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've been wounded. Maybe we've just have emotional hurts and, and, and memories from, from childhood even that, that prevent us from actually being loved, from actually letting somebody in, a friend to know you. But in order for, in order for a, a group, even for these disciples, in order for them to love each other, there had to be, from, from everyone, an ability to let themselves be loved by the other person who they've probably been hurt by who they've probably been offended by, who they've probably had a misunderstanding with. They're told to love them, but also to be loved by them. I think an important aspect of this that's buried in here is the fact that Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Because there's this reality, to to let yourself be loved, like you have to have some sense of self-worth. Right? You have to have some sense of, like, I'm worth loving. Because if I, if I don't think that I'm worth loving, then how can I let myself be loved? I'm going to just, I'm going to be closed up. I'm going to be like, no, you don't, you don't want to bother. If you really knew me, you'd know that I'm not worth loving. We can tend to think these sorts of things about ourselves. And so rather than letting ourselves be known, be loved, be vulnerable, we just close up. We just kind of hide and, and hunker down and say, I'll let you know this part of me, but I can't really let you know the full me because you don't really want to know me. You don't really want to see me. If you saw that part of me, you'd run away screaming. It's what we kind of think. But the reality is, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, saying, greater love is none than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends, alluding to the fact that in a few days he would do that very thing for them and for that whole, the whole world. So he's, he's giving them a sense of saying, you're worth dying for. If greater love is none than this, that, he, I would lay, that one would lay down his life for his friends, and I'm about to go to the cross to lay down my life for you, then you need to know that you're worth dying for, that you're worth loving, even to the extent of death. And so this morning, I need us to know that, that Jesus sees you wherever you're at in your life, whatever story, whatever life you've had, and he says, you're worth loving. You're worth dying for. And that can kind of be a little destabilizing if you, do, if you think that you're not worth anything. Jesus says, not only are you worth like something on some sort of scale, you're worth everything. You're worth, every, you're worth, than, you're worth more than all of the riches of the world that are, that are perishable. You're worth my life. And so, this is an important aspect of being loved And letting your friends love you is knowing that you're loved by God. Knowing that you're loved despite whatever has happened to you or whatever you've done in your life, that God says, I love you. So we need to love your friends and let your friends love you. I think this is a big part of what Jesus is saying when he says love one another. And then he goes on to say, as I have loved you. As I, so then he, then he get, now he gives a kind of a precedent or a, a description of what that kind of love is. And so, you know, they could have defined love in, in, in whatever fashion. But Jesus says, no, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. As I have loved you. 
So there's a couple things here, even in this passage, that, that Jesus talks about, as I have loved you. If we go back to this verse, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. There's, there's disclosure. There's, there's a sharing of information and, and feelings and deepest desires. There's full disclosure of yourself. Jesus says, everything I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the sort of love there's, where there's honesty, where you can be real, where you can be open and vulnerable and laid bare. That takes a lot of trust, and there's only a few relationships in your life that would ever get to this level. And I, and I hope that marriage is one of them, but I hope it's not the only one. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. I hope that there's, that there's space in your life for there to be relationships that are deep and intimate with friends who actually know you and who you actually know and you can actually walk in the same direction together toward godliness and holiness and, and righteousness. Honesty is a big part of that. And then the second one is sacrifice. Again, he says, greater love is none than this to lay down your life for your friend. So what does it look like to sacrifice the things in your life that you would hold dear for, those, for your friends? Like sacrifice is, is a crucial part of, of, of friendship. And that's why it's often easy to say, you know, I don't really have time in my life for friends. <laughs> because it requires something of you that's costly. It requires something of you that it costs you time, it costs you commitments, it costs you money, it costs you like kind of emotional weight and, and, and stuff. It's costly. But Jesus says, love one another. And my love is, is sacrificial. And I'm calling you to love as I've loved. And my love is, is, is full disclosure of information that, that not everyone has access to. This is a friendship where I'm telling you the things that I know about my father's business because you're my friends. Because you're not a servant who I hold at a distance, but you're a friend who can come into the intimate parts of my life and know me for, for, for who I am. And of course, that's a vulnerable place. That could be, that could, and maybe you've been hurt by doing that. Like you've, maybe you've been wounded and betrayed by letting somebody into a place in your life and giving you access to information that, that they've used against you. Friends, this is, this is not an easy call. This is a tough command because it calls us to, to forgiveness. It calls us to, to, to own up to our own stuff. It calls us to repentance. It calls us to to move deeper and push through pain, to persevere into the reality of, of, of a people who, who know God and are reconciled by his love to know each other and to walk this life together. And so, love like Jesus loved, honestly and sacrificially. You know, in, this is a, a quote from these guys, Michael Wilson, Brad Hoffman, wrote a book called Preventing Ministry Failure, pretty much encouraging pastors and ministry leaders, hey, you're, you're going to be tempted to be an island, to be all by yourself, to be completely isolated. Don't do that because you need friends. They say, but I think the reason I'm sharing this is because I think it applies to all of us. 
We need friends who know us deeply and with whom we can share our hopes and dreams as well as our fears and concerns. A place to be ourselves without a mask or facade. Men need intimate connections with other men and women need intimate connections with other women. Safe relationships, not just golfing or shopping buddies, are among God's vehicles for ministering to us. So, I want to I take this, this familiar passage to some of us, this parable of the sower, where Jesus talks about four different types of, of, of ground, four different types of soil that a farmer would sow seed on, and apply it to, to friendships. That we would think of friendships as a social soil in our life. Like, like a soil where, where things either, either, either grow to produce what you want to see happen in your life, or where things are suffocated, where whatever desires you have, whatever purpose you have in God for your life, if you're surrounded by not the right group of friends, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suffocate it. And so let's just read uh, this parable and Jesus talks about. Luke 8, starting in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering, people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still others... So other seeds fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the road are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those in the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell along the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And so this is what I mean by, we're going to use this as a, as a, as a kind of like a metaphor for friendship. Je- Jesus is telling this par- parable as a farmer who's scattering seed. The soil is, is what the farmer can expect. Not everyone's going to receive the seed you sow, but the seed is the word of God. So farmer, sow the seed. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want to use this as a framework, though, to understand types of soil that friendship networks can be or a lack of a friendship network. So the seed is the word of God. Think of it as your relationship with God. Whatever, wherever that's at, if you know Jesus personally, think of the seed as the potential for where that relationship is headed. Every seed has in itself a potential for, for growth, for maturity, for, for possibility, right? The seed is your relationship with Jesus. The road, or the path, it says the seed fell along the path, but then the devil came and snatched it away. So, th- so this would be a, a group of friends, who are people you'd consider friends, who are just like, toxic, selfish, like it's just not good, but you tend to hang around them often. It tends to be relationships that you would say they're my friends, but if you really step back and think about it, like these are not healthy relationships that are life-giving, that actually push you toward who God's calling you to be. They're actually toxic, and there's spiritual uh, warfare even in the mix. Like 
and this may not be for many of us, but for some of us, it's like God might be using a friendship that, that we've had for a while to actually sow seeds of, of distrust and discord and, and, and a lack of, you know, trust in, in God and in doubt and just all sorts of kind of confusing things. This would, be, this would be the road soil. This would be the soil that's just trampled, the friendships that just kind of trample you, but yet you still feel like you need to maintain them. And then there's seed sown on rocky ground. And it says that, it says the, the seed, you know, it shoots up for a while, but there's no moisture. And so it, it dies. This would be the types of relationships with Jesus that are completely isolated. Where you say, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need any friends. I don't need any community. And in fact, if, if you're at church, this probably isn't you. But if it is, recognize that, that by yourself, like as an island, when temptation comes, there's, there's no root system. Like there's no support system. It's just, it dies. And so this would be a relation, this would be a soil where there's really, all, friendships are cut off because it just needs to be you and Jesus. If it's just that, the body not connected, or the, 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 a person not connected to the body, how can it be connected to the head? It's kind of the logic there. So it's rocky ground. Then the thorns. Now this is, this is prickly. Like this is, these are, this is the soil that there's some, there's some good stuff down there, but when it starts to come up, it gets choked out by, by the worries of the world, by, by riches, by wealth, and by pleasures, by consumerism, by a desire to have more, to think that if I could just have enough, and if I could hang around the right friends who, who have more than I do, and, and who can, who, 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 you know, just that, that, that rat race type of mentality that says, I'm going to hang around the social network that can get me to where I want to be in this American dream, or it can get me to where I want to be kind of in, in whatever social sphere, and I'm going to use them, and, 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 and I'm going to be preoccupied by the worries of the world, by the, by the, you know, the, the wealth, and by the stresses that, that, that wealth brings, and by the desire to, not, to always have more. And so when you surround yourself with these types of friends, you will become kind of in that same mentality. That, that it, it's, it's, it's hard to avoid. It's, and I'm not saying that, that there's no place. I think, in fact, there's, a, there's an important place for friendships with non-Christians. I think, I think that we're called in many ways to that. And yet, if, if the only thing that we're surrounding ourselves with outside of a, a Sunday morning gathering is, is folks who are, who are caught up, and if we ourselves are so caught up in, in the worries and riches and pleasures of the world, then the reality is our relationship with God is, is hindered. And the soil of that potential growth is suffocated because there's so many things that want to take your attention and take your loyalty. And then there's good soil, which I hope would be friends in this church that you may have or may uh, soon have, um, where, where they, the soil is rich and full of nutrients and, and, and it produces something healthy. It produces something mature. It produces something godly and holy and noble in you. These are the types of friends who you, you think about and say, I just... I really like them. I, I need more of their influence in my life. I need more of their presence in my life because they bring out the best in me. They bring out something good in me. They bring out what God wants to see for my life even when I don't want that. Even when it's hard to hear. 
even when I'm resisting their, their friendship. I know if I take, it, take stock, I know that God's put them in my life as a gift. And I want to cultivate that. And so what I want to do is just take stock for a minute. Like, hopefully as I've been talking, you've been thinking about certain friends that you have, certain people in your life, certain relationships that you have, or maybe you feel like, dude, I'm, I am the road, or I am the rocky ground. I have no, I've, I've cut myself off from relationships. I've been hurt in the past. I don't want to deal with that. It's just me and Jesus. So just, let's just take stock for a minute and go through each one of these. Uh, and if you, if it benefit you, actually, like, write people's names down. Write people's names down. People who would fit into these, into these categories. Or just kind of create a list in your head. Uh, but, but think through, who, who in my life is good soil? Who in my life, or who, do I, who, who can I look at and say, they're, they're very likely the type of people that I want to influence me in, my, in friendship. I want, I want to be their friend. Who's good soil? Who's going to bring out God's best for you in your life? So if you could just bring, if those people aren't already in your brain, go ahead and let them take a, a place in your brain. And we want to pray for them, actually. That's the first thing. We're just going to go through a little activation of, of this stuff. We want to pray for them because really there needs to be, you know, a mutual kind of understanding that, that in any friendship that we're, we're moving together towards God's best. So let's just pray for them, God. We thank you for these people in our life. We pray that, that the potential for this relationship would grow and, uh, and God, that there would be a, a mutual desire to grow together in, in, in Christ. And then, you know, I encourage you to continue to pray for them as God leads you. And then I just want to encourage you, as you pray, consider taking the initiative. And I'm trusting that, that God's brought somebody to your mind. Uh, take the initiative with boldness. Like, reach out to them and say, hey, let's, let's connect. Let's grab some coffee. Let's, can, I, can I have you over for dinner? Whatever it is, reach Take, uh, reach out, take the initiative. And then in, in doing so, like there's just this understanding where, where intimacy deepens naturally. People are free to, to do as they wish. They can't be coerced or forced. So, so as, as you seek friendships and, and more meaningful relationships, just allow intimacy to deepen naturally. Because ultimately we want to move past pretense. We want to move past acting like... Um, we have it all together and that we don't need any more people in our life when in fact we can be, we can be very uh, cut off and very lonely. The reality is, for me, is that I'm not all that good at this. Like, I, I, I can read scriptures and, and feel like, man, this is definitely the way God set it up in his kingdom. And yet when I look at my life, I'm, I'm not that good at this. Like, I, I'm very often the one who does not take initiative if somebody wants to call me and hang out, sweet. But I'm not going to be like calling them because I'm I got enough things going on. I'm I'm busy. I got I got work. I got family. I got commitments. I I don't like to take the initiative with friendships because what if it what if we actually get to like each other and it's going to take a lot out of me, and like 
I'm not that good at this, but I, when, I, when, I, when I read Scripture, when I think about God's design for the kingdom of God, when I think about relationships and friendships, I really can't get past the fact that God has designed friendships to form Christ in us. He's, he's designed these relationships to, to allow us to work through our own stuff and to be known by somebody else so that they can bring out what God has for us in our life. And so I can't avoid the desire to push through my own cynicism, my own doubt, my own kind of apprehension about these things and say, guys, we need deep friendships in this. And I think as a church, we do this fairly well, but I think we could get better. We need intimate friendships. We need to be known by other people and we need to know other people. We need to love our friends and let our friends love us. We need to seek seek out the people in our life who are going to produce good fruit who are going to be good soil for us.